This morning, if you'll take your Bible to Matthew chapter 20, the text that Andrea just read for us, we're going to be picking it up at verse 1. Before we do, let me just share that Matthew 20 is the last chapter of the section of Matthew that we titled The Retreat of the King, where Jesus is actually uh, pulling away from the, the Jews, the crowds, the Gentiles, and he has focused primarily on his disciples and training them and teaching them before he makes his way to Jerusalem to go to the cross and, and before he faces his resurrection. And so that's where we pick up this uh, chapter 20. It was a few weeks ago that we studied chapter 19, but in that chapter, a conversation was started between Jesus and a rich young ruler. Jesus was confronting this rich young ruler on his self-righteousness, on his self-love. He didn't see it that way. He came to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life. So he's basing eternal life on doing things, on works. And Jesus first told him to keep all the commandments, which he basically responded, check, I've done that, I'm good there. Eh, Jesus kind of questions that, and then Jesus goes ahead and exposes the lie that's in this young man's heart. But since the young man kept, has kept the law, since he said he kept the law, Jesus played along, and he said, if you would be perfect, in other words, if you've kept the law, that means you're perfect. So if you would be perfect, go, sell what you have, uh, your possessions, give to the poor, and then you will have treasures in heaven, and come follow me. Well, by the way, Jesus wasn't trying to say that the terms for salvation are when you practice good philanthropy. He's just exposing this young man's heart. He said that he kept the law, yet when he was told to sell all his possessions and give the money to the poor, he balked. He walked away sadly. All of a sudden, he realized this young man probably, maybe he never saw it, but it became obvious to everyone watching, which were the disciples, that this young man was filled with self-righteousness. He's filled with hate for his neighbors. Because Jesus said, take all your stuff and give it to the poor. Give it to your neighbor. Much as Jesus said the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So this guy is far from perfect in the law. And so Jesus is simply calling this young man to surrender to him, to put him first in everything. It's not a matter of us having to sell everything we have and give to the poor in order to go to heaven. That's not the point at all. It's not about works. It's a free gift of God, right? Salvation is a free gift. It is about, however, us recognizing that to follow Jesus is to live a surrendered life. And as this young man walked away sadly, Jesus turns to his disciples and he said, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a, rich enter, will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is saying it's impossible for anyone to be saved by their own merit. By their own merit. Now, what's interesting here. Back in that day, wealth was treated as proof 
uh, that you had God's approval. That's why you're wealthy. God's blessed you. You've been living a good life. You've not been sinning. Therefore, God's blessed you. You have money. And those who had the money had, could give more alms to God. So it was this cyclic thing. It was perpetual. You get more and you give more. You get more, you give more. People saw the wealthy as the ones who were closest to God, which obviously is not the case. Jesus destroys that idea along with the notion that anyone can merit enough divine favor to gain entrance into, into God's kingdom. So then in verse 25 of chapter 19, it says, When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? If you've got to take everything you have and give to the poor, who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. It's not actually giving away stuff that saves you. That's a free gift from God to you. And then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have in heaven? So Peter's just playing a little further. He's listening to what Jesus is saying, and he turns it back to self. And he says, okay, if you've got to sell everything, uh, we've given up everything. So Jesus, what rewards are we going to have in heaven? And with that, Jesus does not rebuke Peter. That's interesting. You would think he would set him straight. He doesn't. But he does tell a parable so that he can bring Peter back into right alignment with the spiritual perspective that God wants every one of us to have. And so we pick up at verse 1 in chapter 20, and it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, one denarius would be the equivalent of a day's fair wage. He sent them into the vineyard, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, and going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour... He went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. And he said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came... Each of them received a denarius, a full day's wage. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. They saw what was being given to the ones who were hired an hour earlier. They're thinking, man, we're really going to get paid well. And they got the same thing as the guys who showed up an hour before the day was done. And, and so let me just put it in perspective in English terms that we understand. The men who started at 9 a.m. received the same wage as the men who started at 5 p.m. And the closing bell was 6 p.m. They all got the same. Verse 11, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and, scorching, and the scorching heat. Who does that sound like? 
Sounds to me like people today in this world. Everybody should get the same. You know, and crying out for this, crying out for that, the woke, the cancel culture, and all this stuff going on. Jesus gives an answer that I think would be good for people to hear today. He replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. I choose. It's my choice. And then he said, and am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? If you have that mindset that in socialist society they have it right where everybody has the same thing, you would have a problem with Jesus. And Jesus would have a problem with you. Because whatever you own, you get to choose what to do with it. That's called stewardship. It's all the Lord's, and you get to decide how to steward the Lord's things, the Lord's money. And then he said, uh, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Does it bother you? So the last will be first, and the first last. Now generally what Jesus is saying by that last verse, and by the way, he said the same thing, uh, if you look at back in chapter 19, he used the same verse, the last will be first and the first last. What does that even mean? Generally, it means everybody ends up with the same thing in the end. This account of the vineyard and the harvest would have been very familiar to the disciples. The grape harvest usually took place in August because August was also the beginning of the rainy season in Israel. So a foreman, when he saw the clouds forming, he would race to the marketplace and hire workers early in the morning to try and harvest the vineyard before the rains really came. And then if later in the day he sees that there's even greater clouds, there's going to be more of a storm, he runs back to the to the marketplace and he hires more workers and he does he'll hire as many workers as it takes in order to bring the harvest in before the heavy rains hit in this story those who have been hired early in the morning were upset because the men who were hired an hour before quitting time paid the same amount uh, were paid the same amount and they protested that's unfair but the owner countered did I not meet the terms for which I hired you? I promised you a day's fair wage, and I gave it to you. If I choose to be generous with those who come late, isn't that my business? Jesus is trying to teach something here, and yet this is not even really the context, the deeper context of this story. The message from the parable is very simple. Keep in mind that this parable was given in response to Peter's question about rewards. Through it, Jesus is saying, you'll have rewards eternally. You'll have everything returned 100-fold presently. But because the first shall be last and the last shall be first, when payday comes and rewards are given, there are going to be some big surprises. You and I who are in the kingdom of God, when we get to heaven, we're going to be in for some shockers. We really are. Uh, everybody gets the same thing 
at the base level. Everybody, even a person who's saved on their deathbed, they get the same benefit of the inheritance of Christ in heaven that a person who walks with Christ for 80 years. No different. So why would we look different upon the person who hasn't put in the work in Christ that we have? Why look down upon him? Why measure? Why compare? When Christ himself said in the kingdom of God, that doesn't work. This tells me a couple of key things, this, this story. First of all, we will be surprised. Our tendency is to think that Billy, the Billy Grahams and the H.G. Spurgeons of the world will receive all kinds of crowns and rewards when they get to heaven, and we'll stand there and watch as God honors these great men of God. But I think there will also be some cleaning ladies who worked behind the scenes in obscurity and serviced other people with joy in their heart and at lunch break would find the broom closet and get on their knees and pray for the Billy Grahams and the Chuck Swindolls and the Bill Brights and all the big names. And while those guys are standing there in heaven with their rewards, up walk these little closet ladies that nobody knows and they're given the same and maybe even more what heaven will reveal is far from what we think here on this earth the reason i'm sharing this is because this is how we should think while we're here in this life we are still members of the kingdom of god jesus is our king right here right now and he wants us to have this kingdom mentality while we live in this fallen world I believe some of you sitting here today are those who have worked quietly and in anonymity who will be escorted to the front of the line when rewards are given in heaven. We didn't do it for any reward, you might say. That's why you're going to the front of the line. <laughs> we weren't hired until 5 o'clock. We didn't make much of a mark. But because you were exceedingly thankful for the privilege of serving God. See, you weren't saved by works. You were saved by the free gift of salvation offered through Christ in his work on the cross. But after you were saved, you were called by God to works, to do the work of God. All of us are called. And you did it without complaint. In fact, the opposite. You thanked God for the work that he gave you to do. And heaven is going to reward you for that. You say, oh, I don't even like to hear that because I don't want to think that I'm doing something for... You're not doing it for the reward. I'm just telling you that Jesus said you're going to get rewarded when you are faithful and obedient to do God's work. And every one of us are called to the work of God. Those of us who have visibility and some level of prominence in the life of the church or whatever will be in the back cheering you on. We're not going to be the ones at the front of the line. You will. I guess this really emboldens and it reinforces for the church to understand. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about a location. I'm not talking about a name. I'm talking about the people that make up that fellowship. Vero Bible Fellowship. I think it's really laying the foundation for us to understand that we must be about God's good work after our salvation. Every one of us has a place to serve in the kingdom of God. 
The second lesson that I get from this parable that Jesus shares with us is I see this radical teaching uh, as an opportunity to teach us to guard against envy and jealousy because that's what those who were hired in the morning had in their hearts. By the end of the day, they got paid exactly what the master had promised them. But when they saw that others were getting the same amount for much less work, they became envious. They became jealous of them. Hey, we're out here all day. These guys just worked an hour. That's not fair. Some of us have actually said, how come it's, he's getting blessed when I've been faithful for so many years? Is that you? You're in the story. There's a lesson. Guard your heart against envy and jealousy. Guard your heart against comparing yourself to others. I said Thursday night in our Bible study, I said when you compare, one of two things happens. Either you, you find yourself better than somebody else, which is going to lead you into pride, or if you're not as good as somebody else, you're going to belittle yourself, which is below what God's called you to be. He doesn't want you to compare to anyone. Your identity is in Jesus Christ alone. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He saved you freely, and he's called you to a marvelous work. Be part of God's plan. Take your eyes off of men and women around you. In Numbers chapter 12, Miriam asked why Moses was always the one who got to say, this, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> why is Moses the one who gets to go up to the mountain and come down glowing? Why is it always him? All I get to do is play a tambourine when we have worship. She's complaining and grumbling. What was the result of her envy and jealousy? Do you remember? Let me remind you. She was stricken with leprosy. That's what jealousy always does. It starts small, but in the end, it consumes you. Do not allow the enemy to plant seeds of discord in your heart towards others in Christ. In the kingdom, we should celebrate the victories of others. Amen? A third principle that the story teaches is that it's never too late to get started. It never is. Here Jesus finds these people who are standing uh, at the marketplace at 5 in the evening. By the way, nobody ever preaches about the folks who were there at 5 o'clock. We only talk about Jesus going and hiring, you know, or the master hiring and the, those who started early. And we kind of get this negative attitude because he uses the word idle. They were idle at the marketplace when he showed up. And you get this feeling that these people are just, you know, a bunch of slouchers laying around, and finally he comes back, hey, you want a job? Yeah, yeah, I guess, okay, yeah. They only got an hour left. Let me go put an hour in. No big deal. No, that's not at all the picture here. The picture is these people have been waiting all day for someone to hire them. They're hungry. <laughs> they want to work. There are people in this society right now, I'm telling you, who right now are hungry for spiritual food, but who's going to feed them? Oh, well, then they need to hear my preacher preach. Oh, they need to turn on my life. No! They need you to open your mouth. I'm, I'm, I'm right now in a conversation 
an ongoing conversation with a man that I befriended. And he doesn't know much about me, and I don't know a whole lot about him, but I care about this man. The more I'm, I'm with him, the more I see that this guy has a heart that's really tender. And, and this past weekend, uh, as we were talking, uh, it came out that I'm a minister and that I teach the Bible. He's a French-Canadian, and he said to me, what do you do exactly? I said, I teach the Bible. Oh, yeah? What, 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 why do you do that? Well, because I believe the gospel has the power to change people's lives. In fact, and I didn't know he was an atheist, I said, in fact, recently in our service, we had a man who uh, was saved, and he's a former atheist. And this guy goes, he was an atheist? What did you say that made this man change? <laughs> and I said, I didn't say anything. I said, he's facing, facing terminal illness. And God began to change his heart. I said, I could never convince anyone to be saved. All I can do is share the good news and let God change their heart. And he said, I'm an atheist. But I've always been inquisitive to know more. Whoo, man, light the jets, baby. I mean, that, that just got me going. And I got off and I said to Rini, man, I'm so pumped. This is, it's taken off now. This is, this is good stuff. This is what we as Christians live for. This is not a pastoral duty. This is a, every Christian being real, being honest, being loving, Allowing God to use you, doing his work in this world. Why? Because there's people who are at the five o'clock hour of their life. And they're still standing and they're waiting to hear spiritual food. And if you are one... Maybe you're a believer and you've just sat on the sidelines and you've watched others around you in the life of the church engage in ministry. You never have. You've just kind of always been there but never really engaged. It's not too late. You can be in the 5 o'clock hour of your life cycle. And God's like, you might be in your 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and God's like, let's go. There's things you can do. Everybody matters to the king. I love that about our fellowship, that we're a multi-generational church. We love people of all ages. Amen? I, I need, see, I need to be around old people. Did you get that? Okay. I, I need old people in my life. I need young people in my life. I need them all. Everybody brings something to the table that God can use to sharpen and hone me. Don't ever close out a people group. Don't listen to the world. Don't listen to the churches today that are creating churches only for one age group. We, we target market the blah, 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 blah. That's junk. That's not biblical. The Bible says that the older men and the older women are there to raise up and train the younger ones. We need all ages. The younger ones bring an energy and an enthusiasm and a creativity that the older ones need. 
We need each other in this church. Everybody here matters. Everybody matters. Verse 17, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, see, we are going to, up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. This is not the first time that Jesus has spoken of his death, burial, and resurrection. It started back in chapter 16. We're now in chapter 20. It's part of the retreat of the king, the time when he's teaching disciples, and they're on the way to Jerusalem where Jesus is going to be handed over to the Jews and put on the cross, and now he's still teaching his disciples what's going to happen, and they never got it. Listen, friends. Why You say, why didn't they get it? Why didn't they... Why, when Jesus was on the cross, didn't they go, well, he told us it was going to happen, and they stay faithful to him? Why'd they run away? Why, on the resurrection day, when they saw Jesus, they were surprised? What do you mean he's not in the tomb? The tomb's empty? Did somebody steal the body? They, they should have known. He told them numerous times. Why? I'll tell you why. Because we only hear what we want to hear. We only see what we want to see. We can learn something here from our Lord. Jesus rarely mentioned the cross without mentioning the resurrection. Did you know that? Whenever he talked about the cross that he was going to bear, he also mentioned the resurrection that he was going to experience. Why? Because the two go together. I've, I see believers today who talk about the cross a lot. Yeah, I'm having to bear this burden. Yeah, I've been struggling now for over a year with this. Yeah, I've got these setbacks in my life. We talk about the cross, and I never hardly hear anybody talk about the resurrection. See, it's one thing for you to say, yeah, I've really gone through a tough year with COVID. It's really hit our family hard. But the Lord is faithful. That's your resurrection. But God has given me his word, his promises, every day, all the way through these problems. That's the resurrection. But I know that I have great hope in God, that while I'm going through these trials, there is a work that he is doing in it and through it and in me. That's resurrection. Stop talking about the problem, about the cross that you're bearing without also bringing in the resurrection of what God is doing. Amen? Friends, if you think it's tough following Christ through life, try not following Christ through life with the problems that we face today. I'm trying to make a point here. That's, it's, listen, facing disease, death, lost job, sick child, or even prospering in a business, but yet living inside of your heart with emptiness that's tough. Those are tough situations when Christ is not in the picture, when he's not dwelling in your heart. If you weren't a Christian, you would still have your cross experience, but there wouldn't be any resurrection. We have the resurrection and never talk about it. And it makes us look like we don't know who the Lord is. The world talks about the cross all the time. They've all got their woes, but they don't have a resurrection story. There is no Jesus living in them that strengthens them to face each and every day of life. 
we have it and we don't talk about it. Something's wrong there. We forget and end up sounding more like a lost person than someone who's been redeemed and empowered by the same God that raised Christ from the dead. Verse 20, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him and her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at, the right, at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Now, interesting, if you do a little background checking on this, you find in Mark chapter 10, verse 35, Jesus, uh, that, that Jesus is faced by James and John, who are the sons of this mother that's approaching Jesus in chapter 20. So, so now they're putting mom up to it in chapter 20, but if you go to Mark chapter 10, verse 35, they're approaching him themselves, and here's what they said, teacher, we want you to do something for us. They, they think he's a genie in the bottle, just ask and you'll get it. And Jesus kind of sets him straight on that. Lord, in your kingdom, will you put one of my sons on your right and one on, the other, on, on your other side, on your left? See, if we're not careful, we can fall into the same fleshly trap as the disciples who were worshiping God in order to get something from God. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge God's name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So, it's very important that you and I understand that we're not in this thing to have a genie in the bottle. We're in this because we have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. And in surrendering our lives, he's given us a job, a role, a duty, a work. And it's a good work. And it brings joy and it brings uh, edification in the kingdom of God when we do it. And we need to do it with praise on our lips. We don't just talk about the cross. We talk about the good that God's doing in the midst of the cross experience. Amen? Jesus is about to face the cross and his resurrection, and they're only interested in seating arrangements in heaven. We only hear from the disciples here and from their mother. We only hear the things that they want. We don't hear what Jesus wants. They're not interested. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking to sit on my right and left. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? He hasn't drunk on it yet. So he's saying, are you going to be able to drink what I'm going to drink? And they said to him, they didn't even hesitate, we are able. <laughs> the cup in the kingdom, listen, this is for us too. We're in the same kingdom that Jesus is speaking of, and he's the king. The cup in the kingdom is the cup of death. That's what he's referring to. Are you willing to die? I'm going to die. Are you willing to die? Did you know that to, to the word witness in the Greek martus? It's where we get the root word for martyr. To be a Christian is to be willing to die for Christ. That's the cup 
When you are a believer, that's the cup that you're willing to drink. The baptism is the baptism of suffering. Are you sure you know what you're asking? Oh, we know, Lord. They had no clue. All they knew was that there was rewards in heaven, and that's what they wanted to get to. We'll do whatever we got to do to get to the rewards. Verse 23, he said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been, been prepared by my Father. Our salvation is a free gift, but our Heavenly Father is right now preparing and positioning us for our heavenly rewards based upon our works that we do for Him in this life. That's why you and I should focus on serving Christ in this life. When it says, but you know, in Ephesians 2 8, that the gift of God is a, it's a free gift in Jesus Christ. And then it goes to verse 10, and it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand, before you were ever born, he already had your plans for your work, that he prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. That's what the rewards in heaven are about. We should focus on the work before us in this life, and you will reap the rewards in the next life. But we get it backwards. Oftentimes, we seek the worldly rewards in this life and have no time for God's work. And heaven will reflect that. Oh, you'll be saved, because that's a free gift. You got it. You're in. But the rewards won't look the same as those who were faithful to serve and share and engage in people, in church, in this world for Christ. Verse 24, and when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. When the other disciples heard what these two boys were, hey, let my brother and I be on the right and the left side. Okay, well, the other disciples, eh, ticked them off pretty good. Uh, next time you feel indignant, ask yourself if you're upset because of a spiritual violation or simply because of a fleshly violation. Am I upset because my flesh doesn't like what I'm hearing? Or am I upset because spiritually that's wrong? These guys are upset because they're thinking, we should have asked Jesus that first. But Jesus called to them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and the gr their great ones exercise authority over them. That's what it's all about in the world, authority and power. Just look at the politicians. That's what it's all about. They'll say anything to keep their power and their authority. It shall, not, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must also be your what? Servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, the goal, the focus, the joy of a Christian is to be in service to others, because to serve others is to serve God. And as they went out of Jericho, a great cloud, a crowd followed them. And behold, there were those two blind men who were sitting by the roadside. Let me give you a little background. Barclay, the commentary, really gives him some insight here. Barclay's very good with customs in that day. And he said this, he said uh, that, that Outs in the city of Jericho, in that region, there was a particular plant that had great medicinal value. Many of the blind would go to that city. So when Jesus is walking 
outside of Jericho, he probably came up knowing that. He knew there would be blind people probably approaching him. And so the crowd's there, everybody's yelling and shouting, and, but there's these two blind guys who are, if you take the Greek word, they were crying like a little baby wanting, wanting milk. They were crying out, Son of God, help us, help us. And he heard them over all the people because they had a cry. They were hungry for help. And he walked over to them. You know, people are saying, shut up. He don't have time to hear you. It's like my wife said that her sister, when she was just little, a little girl, her sister was older, and they were at the fair, and they went up on a, on a ride. What was it like a, called the Bullet. So one of those crazy rides that she no longer rides. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and she was so small that the seatbelt couldn't hold her. She was flopping around inside this thing, and it was just shaking her and pushing her. And she was yelling, stop it, stop, please stop. And her sister said, oh, shut up. If, you, if, you, if they hear you, they'll stop the ride. <laughs> oh, man, I'll tell you. What's in our hearts, isn't that something? And that's what the people were saying to these two blind men. Oh, be quiet. We're trying to get, a, get his attention. Jesus heard the ones who had the hungry heart. And he went over to them. And look what he said to them. This is really interesting. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. They got that right. He is the son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do? I love that. Every time Jesus healed, he healed differently. You know why he did that? When he healed blind people, one time, you know, he just healed the guy. Another time, he healed somebody, and he says, what do you see? And, you know, I I just see trees. People look like trees. Okay, hang on. It'll it'll come to you. Finally, the guy can see completely. Another time, you know, he takes spits on the ground, makes mud with the spittle, puts it in the guy's eyes, and the guy's healed. Every time he healed blind, he healed them differently. Here, he just said, Hey, what, what, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. What was the greater work there that day? That they could see or that they had hearts that were completely changed enough that they would follow Jesus. The story reveals three observations quickly. One, first, it speaks of his compassion. He stopped for two blind people in the midst of a very loud crowd. Secondly, it's a preview of what we will see when Jesus returns. There will not be, when he returns, any more blind people. There will not be any more sickness, any more disease. Praise God. Amen? And third, finally, it's a picture of our own coming to Christ. We, too, were blind spiritually, and we were hungry enough to follow Jesus. And he saved us. He did the saving, not not us. I believe that right now in this room, right now at the close of this service, I believe that our Lord is asking this question. What do you want me to do? 
And there's really only one right answer. Heal me so that I can spiritually see what's really in my heart. Open my spiritual eyes. See, I believe Jesus wants to do some transformational work in us, each of us. And we're cracked vessels. Every one of us is a cracked vessel. I know that you, you know, you're, you're right now some of you under your breath are saying, well, my spouse is. I don't know about me, but she is or he is. No, you are. You're a cracked vessel. And God specializes in repairing cracked vessels. It's called redemption. He redeems you for himself, a cracked vessel, a sinful vessel. And he redeems you so that he can use that vessel. He doesn't take the vessel and put it on a shelf to be admired. He wants to put it back in service. But some of us are spiritually blind and we think we're going through life and things are the way we want them to be, and we have no clue that we are so far from the heart of God and for the intentions of God in us. He has intentions. He needs you to, re- he needs you to rest. Stop trying to fight. Just surrender and allow God to do a work in you so that you might then do a work in his name. Father, thank you this morning for this teaching time. Thank you for your word that gives us such understanding when we open it. We're thankful that the Holy Spirit is here to help us understand what we're reading. Otherwise, we wouldn't understand it. We might be able to give a practical insight, but we're not going to know the deeper spiritual implications apart from the work of the Spirit. So, Lord, we thank you for that. But, Lord, today, may it be personal. Let this not just be a sermon that we go after service and say, well, that was a great sermon for the body. That was really good for us today. No, no. Lord, I needed that. It was for me. Open my spiritual eyes. Let me see what I'm not seeing. I want to come back into alignment with your will and your work and your way. Lord, let that be in every heart here. Lord, I pray for those who are not saved that are here. May they understand that the only way that they can have eternal life is not by their merit, not by their own works, not by their good standing. It's only by receiving by faith the work of Jesus Christ. When he went to the cross and bore our sins, every human being, And he paid the ultimate price for sin. That would be death. And the only reason that he was able to pay for it is because he was perfect. He never sinned. Every one of us have sinned. So, Lord, we're thankful for the work that you were able to do. God the Father, we thank you that you sent God the Son. And he became incarnate. He lived among us. He, He was in human body, but he was still fully God and he never sinned. And then he went to the cross and he died a physical death just so we could be reconciled, redeemed, so that our sins could be paid for. And then Jesus simply offers us salvation. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank you for that, Lord, that whoever calls upon you Like these two blind men, they cry out. 
They're hungry in their heart for salvation, and you provided, and they followed. Oh, may that be the case here today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. As we close our time, we have uh, elders and we have prayer partners that always come to the front and they spread out so that you can have privacy. We'd love for you to come if you have any prayer needs. They'll be more than happy to pray with you about whatever request, whatever need you're facing in life. But listen, friends, as we go today, let's keep one thing in mind. Let's learn from Jesus that we're not to just talk about our cross experience. Let's talk about the resurrection, what God is doing in us while we suffer. Amen? Amen. God bless each of you. Thank you for being here. Come receive ministry help if you need that. And uh, we'll see you a Thursday night Bible study at 630 at the plaza and next Sunday morning. God bless.